Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. All right, everyone. Welcome to Unabridged Podcast. This is episode 148. Today, we are focusing on speculative fiction, and we have author Virginia Sankson here with us. So welcome, Virginia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We are thrilled that you are able to be on our podcast. So, all right, well, we are going to start the way we do every episode with our bookish check-in. Before we launch into that, I just want to remind everyone that we are putting content in Patreon all the time. So if you haven't checked that out, we have some additional podcast episodes and some book talks, materials for teachers. So there's a lot of good content on Patreon. You just go to patreon.com slash unabridgedpod. All right, so let's go ahead to our bookish check-in. Ashley, what are you reading? So I am, this one is an audio book that I'm listening to, and I'm doing that through Libro FM, and I, it's called the Toni Morrison Book Club, and it has four authors, which I'll explain in a second. So it's Judah Bennett, Winifred Brown-Gloud, Cassandra Jackson, and Piper Kendrick-Williams. And so I have never read a book that had four authors and the very um, opening part of the book they talked about in their introduction, they talked about it is a real life book club. They do talk about Toni Morrison books and that led them to writing this book where they shared some of their revelations that they had through their discussions of the Morrison um, novels. And so they talked about how, you know, one of the discussions they had was nobody ever writes a book with four people. It's going to be so challenging to try to collaborate in that way. And yet they decided that they wanted to honor each person's voice. And so they stayed the course and all four of them are represented in the book. And it has just been, I'm a huge Toni Morrison fan and the books that they're discussing, I have read. So I am loving this. I'm loving revisiting those texts that I haven't read in a while. And I'm loving looking at the way that those books and the exploration of the themes within them has impacted each of the people's lives. And so I think it's phenomenal. But I also have heard people who have not read the books and who really enjoyed this book. So I don't feel like you had to read the Morrison novels in order to enjoy this experience. But I mean, it's just, it's so relevant. The discussions they're having are frank and challenging, and they're really looking at all the current events happening in America through the lens of these book club discussions. And so it has been phenomenal, and I'm really enjoying and it, it is interesting to see the integration of the different voices. So they really, um, each of the authors gets a chance to share their perspective on certain texts and they kind of broke it up that way. And so it is just interesting to hear that connection. So again, that is the Toni Morrison Book Club and it has four authors, Bennett, Brown, Glaude, Jackson, and Kendrick Williams. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And I think, I can't remember now which of the books I hadn't read but it was okay. I felt like they provided enough context that even not having read it, you know, I think if you're familiar with any of Morrison's work, the themes that are running through it appeared. So, so yeah, I thought it was great too. 
All right, Sarah, what are you reading? So I am reading a middle grade fiction called Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus. It's by Dusty Bowling, and it is awesome. It is about a main character named Avon, and she was born with no arms. The story starts off with her just kind of talking about that, and she likes to tell these really like crazy, like like fantastical stories about how she lost her arms because people are always like, do you mind how I ask how you lost your arms? So she makes up all of these stories and she's just so lovable from the beginning. And then, and so she's been in the same school her whole life and she has friends and she, you know, the, everybody's grown up with her. So she's never felt different. And then her dad um, has been out of work for six months and he gets a job offer to run a rundown theme park in Arizona. So they, they move from Kansas to Arizona and so she is, you know, having to adapt to a new school and it's hard for her. She's very capable. She's taught herself and her parents have like really made sure that she's able to, she can use her toes for everything. And so it's, I mean, she is just an awesome character. And uh, I think that the way that it's going to go is there's going to be a little bit of a mystery about the theme park, but um, I'm just at a part where she meets someone who seems to have friend potential and it is just uh, it is great I had seen it before and thought it sound, like I just thought the name was really interesting and I it came up on Libby when I was looking at for an audiobook and I was I was like I need a middle grade read so <laughs> I'm gonna read it and I'm listening to it and it is just fantastic so I think both you Jen and Ashley would like it I don't know Virginia I don't know if you like middle grade reads but it is very very good I do. I'm I'm game for anything. As long as the characters are fun, I do not care who it's written for. It could be written for 80-year-olds or 5 years <laughs> if it's a good story with good characters. Yes. And it, it, this is that. It is really, really good. I can't wait to see how where it goes. But so far, Avon is just so spunky and precocious and just, I mean, she's a hoot. So I'm loving it so far. That sounds so good. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that one, Sarah. That sounds great. Virginia, how about you? What are you reading? So I am reading Where Dreams Descend, which is the first book in the Kingdom of Cards series. Um, and this is by Janella Angelis. And uh, she's a Filipina-American uh, first-time novelist that I've been following on Twitter ever since she announced this book because she billed it as a cross between Phantom of the Opera and Moulin Rouge, which are two of my most favorite things in the entire world. So I was on board with this entire plot from the beginning. So it is about this really spunky, again, love this one, characters, um, girl named Kalia. And she is a natural magician. This is in a world where you can learn magic, but you can also be born with magic. And so she is a born magician and she's living in kind of this spectacular burlesque theater in the woods uh, with a very mysterious mentor, fan of the opera um, style. And she ends up running away and joining a magic competition in this mysterious walled city. And then People start turning up injured, disappeared, murdered. Um, so it's, I'm finally to like maybe the last 50 pages or so, and I'm trying to save it. 
And it's just like beautiful gowns and costumes and descriptions of these fantastic shows, which uh, I wish I could attend in person right now. Uh, so that is what I am loving right now. And I hope that she writes the second book soon because I think it ends on a cliffhanger. So um, yeah, ready to get to it. That sounds really good. Mm-hmm. I sounds love great. The, I love the magic. Yeah. And the idea that some are born and some study. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And one of the characters is a born magician, but he's gone through trauma. So he's kind of lost it and he's very out of control right now. So I'm interested to see where all of this goes. Great. That sounds great. What about you, John? What are you reading? So I am reading, well, the three of us are reading because it's our buddy read pick for the month, but Elizabeth Acevedo's The Poet X. And this is actually a reread for me. I am loving diving into this book all over again. So it is a YA novel in verse. And the the one of the really interesting things about this one, I love novels in verse in general, but it's also about her verse. So uh, the main character, Ziamara, is a poet. And so she is, the book is the poetry that she is writing a lot of the time. And it's very much about the way that she expresses herself through poetry and is figuring out her identity through the poetry that she's writing. This is a voice that she doesn't feel like she has in her life with her mother and her family. And oh my goodness, it is just absolutely beautiful. There's a romance that she has a twin and there's a relationship with her twin who is very different and the contrast between them is fascinating, but they also have this really strong bond and I love books about sibling relationships. So that's a really compelling part. And she has this huge conflict with her mother about religion. Her mother is very religious and expects her daughter to be just as religious as she is. And Ziamara has questions and her mother is just not standing for that. So that's one of the conflicts that I I remembered from the first time through, but this time through, that is something that is really standing out for me. So if you have not read Acevedo, she is one of my favorites. And this is a book that definitely stands up to the reread. So yeah, I'm loving rereading that one too. I'd forgotten just how, how great and how much fun it is to see the characters together. Yeah. I haven't read that before, but it sounds amazing. Oh, it's great. great. It really, yeah, there's just, I feel like I could keep going on and on because there, there's so many details and there's so much that she's dealing with and yet it doesn't ever feel overdone or as if anything's not organic. It's just such a natural read. And I still have not listened to the audio, but people in the buddy read have been raving about the audio. Ashley, you listened, didn't you? No, I haven't listened to that okay, one, but I heard her. So Acevedo re- reads Evie's a boy's pride. Oh, that's right. And so, she, so she's the narrator on that one and it was phenomenal. So I listened to that and heard her as the reader. So when they said that it was consistent with my impression of her and pride was partially like it had parts that were in verse, but it was mm-hmm. predominantly prose, but the verse parts, she just is just a great, you know, she's clearly a poet. And so hearing her read it, so it makes sense, but I haven't listened yet. And yeah, I, I felt like there were people in the group saying that they loved it so much that they wanted to read the text, but also do the audio. So that's yeah. always a good sign. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we want to move on to our main segment now. So first, we would love to talk with Virginia about her books. So I'm going to read a brief bio and then we'll launch into that. 
Virginia Sangson has always enjoyed creating new worlds and characters, and at some point started writing her ideas down. She is an art historian and associate director of a museum. In addition to her works of fiction, she also writes about Japanese textiles. She lives in the Shenandoah Valley and enjoys finding inspiration through travel. Virginia is the author of The Genetics Chronicles, which includes The Titan Strain, The Osiris Conspiracy, and The Ragnarok Resolution, and that one just came out on September 9th. So, Virginia, welcome again to Unabridged. I'm so excited to talk about these. Yeah, we have really, yeah, well, I'll just speak for myself first. I have really enjoyed reading your trilogy. I will say we are not going to get into spoiler territory, which is going to be very challenging for me because the later books are definitely fresher in my mind than book one. But it has been such a journey, and I am really thrilled with the way book three, yeah, Anyway, I don't want to get spoilers. I just don't even want to say anything, but I'm loving it. I, I know. I wonder when the uh, the limit on spoilers goes away because the Titan Strain came out in 2018, so we're not we're not too far away from that. But yeah, if you if you spoil the first book, then it's so, yeah, it's so hard to talk about. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Do you mind sharing a summary or just a synopsis of book one? Sure. So the book is set in hopefully an alternate universe of a dystopian um, London after the Third World War. Um, It's a world of control and uh, suppression with a very fascist government in charge. And within this world, genetic modification and manipulation is very real and prevalent. And so the story centers around uh, a young assassin who has been raised from childhood to fight for this fascist government, living a totally emotionless, controlled existence. Her only contact is her handler, um, and they have a very complicated relationship. Uh, But she ends up finding that genetically altered humans, illegally genetically altered humans called mods are turning up dead throughout the city. So she teams up with a young police officer and they kind of navigate this dark underbelly of cyberpunkish London, trying to find out who is killing these people, why, and they're hunting for also this perfect genetic modification, which is called the Titan strain. Yes, that was a great Great synopsis. <laughs> so how, maybe you don't know, but where did you get the idea for this? Do you have an inspiration or because there is so much mm-hmm. in the world building and the world is, it's just really fleshed out. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing yeah. to me that from the first page, it's so real, which may be scary, like you said, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very scary, but it's funny because you believe it whenever you want. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where the inspiration came from as far as this particular world, but I think that the inspiration for this genetic modification kind of stemmed out of a love of fairy tales, actually. You know, werewolves are incredibly common in fairy tales. So this idea of transforming something that's other than human has always kind of been a part of what I've enjoyed reading. And so this is just sort of taking a scientific bent on... uh, the altered human trope. So yeah, I had a lot of time to think about it. I sort of wrote the first chapter, put it away for many years and came back to it 
after I'd had a lot of time to think about how I might take this forward. So I tend to do that when I'm writing. I will think a lot about the world and the characters and scenes. So when I actually have time to sit down to write, um, hopefully it flows naturally. So are you a plotter or a pantser? Did you sort of know the whole arc from the beginning? Yeah, I I would say I'm a little bit of both. I consider myself a plotter, but not a write it all down kind of plotter. I will just sort of jot out notes or things that I want to include as inspiration strikes. But it's also fun just to see where the story is going to go and how the characters are going to react. And I had a different ending in mind for book three that ended up not being the right choice. And I'm happy with where it ended up, but it's been interesting to see it evolve from the first book. So is this the primary genre in which you write or do you write kind of, do you genre hop? I do. I really enjoy alternate worlds. So I love writing fantasy. I love writing sci-fi. This is the first, or I should say the most sci-fi I've ever written. I usually tend to stick with fantasy because it's completely free, but I really enjoyed writing sci-fi and I certainly enjoy consuming sci-fi, but I think I'm solidly in the speculative fiction (laughs) camp. I really enjoy reading a fiction set in this world, but I don't think I'm the best at writing it, so... Yeah, I'd love to talk about the characters. Like, did you, I mean, I think Leanne is such a complex character who is richly drawn. And I just wondered, you know, did you have inspiration for her character? Is she the one that came to you first? Or did you have a better idea about Damien or Seth, some of the other main characters, and then she kind of fell into that? I was just curious how you created them. Yeah, she was always the central character from the beginning. And As far as inspiration, I think that all the characters are kind of parts of me, just sort of segmented out from the whole. Um, So Leanne's kind of naivete and confusion when it comes to navigating relationships and adulthood is definitely drawn from personal experience. But it was funny when I wrote the first chapter, originally I thought it was going to be a short story and that it would just kind of end with the realization that she is an assassin and um, she is the more dangerous part of this world as opposed to the genetically modified humans. So yeah, she's been part of it from the start. And then Seth and Damien have been around uh, from the beginning when I started to think about this story as the central characters. Awesome. Yeah, I loved that. I think it's really tough in speculative fiction sometimes to also have really rich characters. So I loved that it is the plot is really compelling. And there's a lot of narrative drive, which I think you see in sci fi, but that also the characters had some complexity to them that sometimes I think is hard to balance that. So I loved that part. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I love villains with weird relationships with, uh, with heroes. I think that you know, kind of the Voldemort Harry Potter just wants to kill them is a little bit boring. So I like there to be some conflict and other than just hatred between the villains and the heroes. I think that makes for a more interesting ride. So I was just going to say, I keep thinking it would make a great movie. And I wondered if that would be something that you would be interested in. 
Absolutely. I don't know whether you've seen the, the animated anthology Love, Death, and Robots. It's phenomenal. It's an anthology series, so sci-fi speculative stories that are done in different styles of animation. So like one segment is very cartoonish. One looks sort of like Into the Spider-Verse. One looks like a Disney film. But a lot of them are inspired by short stories or, um, you know, sci-fi anthologies. And I absolutely love that format. So if I could pick anything, it would be an animated series. But yeah, it would be really fun to see how this translates over into visual art as a as opposed to the written word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something about, like Ashley was saying, that richness of character balanced with that propulsive plot that would make it really compelling on the screen. But yeah. So what are you what are you working on now? What is your next, what's the next thing that you're going, going to be writing? Are you going to stay in the sci-fi genre or are you going somewhere else with your writing? I'm going to go somewhere else, and it is due to this past year um, and all its complexities. (laughs) I think the next book is going to be fantasy, that it's set in a world where people can travel a lot. (laughs) It has not been the best year for travel anywhere, so I decided my characters were going to get that. So. Right now, it's an idea about princesses and pirates and quests. So that's what I think is going to be the next project. Um, But I think I'm going to take some time off to read a little bit. So I need to catch up on a lot of books. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine that is difficult to balance when you're in the midst of writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually don't. I try not to read a lot when I'm writing because I find that it seeps into the tone and changes it slightly so I can see like which bits I was reading at different parts in my um my consumer habits. Oh that's tough. That would yeah, that would be a challenge. <laughs> all right. Well I will just say I think we have all very much enjoyed the books and we would highly recommend them. So I hope that everyone can find them. And they're on Kindle Unlimited, which I think is amazing. So If anybody has Kindle Unlimited out there, that's one way that you can access them for sure. Absolutely. And I think that we're going to be doing some flash sales coming up in October. So we're going to do like one week discount of the first book, second week, second book, third week, third book. So I'll have specific dates for that posted to my social media and my website if anyone's interested. Oh, yeah, we'll have to put that. We'll share that as well when we see that. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Well, we are going to move on to some recommendations we have for speculative fiction. And Sarah, do you want to start us off this time? So I am going to talk about a book. It is a little bit, it's been a a while since I've read it, but when I read it, for one thing, it kind of reminded me of some of the same science that was happening in the Titan Strain. And I really love that. I love the Titan Trees. I really love The House of the Scorpion. That is my book, The House of the Scorpion by Nancy Farmer. And this is about the main character, Matt. Uh, He is six years old and he discovers that he is different from other children. He lives in this very elaborate place, almost like a mansion. And there's a lot of really bizarre things that happen around the the mansion 
And there is, so basically what you, you find out is that they are experimenting with cloning and replicating DNA. And this is not spoilers. There is so much that happens, but basically there is this big, this really wealthy man who, it almost reminds you of like a crime family. Like there are all these like very mysterious, dark characters that lurk around him and and he's very and he himself is very mysterious everybody calls him el patron he is basically matt is a, an exact copy of el patron's dna uh, and he is being basically kept alive for things that happen to the the big guy but to do el patron patrons. So that is kind of the premise, but there is a ton of other stuff that happens. And, and basically El Patron is hoping to be guaranteed eternal life by having his an exact replica of his DNA that he can use at his discretion. And then it's basically a, an examination of cloning, what that could mean to like if it were broadly used, it is really well done. It is super compelling. It won a national book award and it won uh, the Newberry. So, I mean, it's pretty good. It's, I would say YA. I mean, I think upper middle might be able to read it. It's just, I mean, it's pretty complex in terms of the storyline and just what the characters are doing, but it is very good. And I, I thought it was really, really interesting. So Sorry, I feel like that was a little bit around the barn to <laughs> talking about that. But anyway, that's how, but I guess our listeners are used to that with me. So, <laughs> so that is Nancy Farmer's The House of the Scorpion. I did not think that was around the barn. And yeah, I also think it sounds great. <laughs> I wrote that down. I definitely have to check that out. Yeah, that sounds yeah. great. I think anything that explores the cloning and how all that works is so interesting. And they're they're in uh, Central America or South America. I mean, I I should have reread it, but it is quite long, and I can't keep up with my reading as it is right now. But so there is also a lot of cultural things in it, like about folklore and myths. Uh, they talk about the chupacabra, and I found that all really fascinating. So it was it was really good. I really liked it. <laughs> I'm adding that to my list. And I had students who read it and just loved it. So that's great. Virginia, how about you? What would you like to recommend? So I would like to recommend one of my all-time favorite books that I've read probably about four or five times since I first bought it, Vicious by V.E. Schwab. Have you guys read it? No, but I just read my first book by V.E. Schwab, her new one, and I was blown away. So I am all in to read more of her books. She's she's a treasure. I absolutely love her books. I love her characters. Um, she tends to have a lot of kind of morally gray characters, which I'm super into. So Vicious is a speculative fiction about two medical students who they live in a world where people can basically become superheroes, but they don't know how they're becoming superheroes. So these two medical students basically decide they're going to create them through experiments and they experiment on themselves and inadvertently end up becoming kind of supervillains. 
and they're both driven by very different things. So it's about the conflict between these two supervillain characters with a friendship gone wrong history in a very dangerous world. And the main character, Victor, is absolutely amazing. He is super and snarky and interesting um, and yet does a lot of really noble things over the course of the book and I just love it. It's the perfect thing to curl up with on like a rainy day or a snowy day. Just read it. It's fantastic and there is a sequel that I have you know festering on my shelves that I need to read. That sounds amazing. Is that is it a whole series? I mean is it just the two you think? It's just the two, but I don't know if it's a planned trilogy or whether she, I, I know that she tends to do trilogy. So I'm wondering, but I've been in a black hole, as many people have over the past couple of months. So I do need to go and check out her, her forthcoming works on her website. Well, I will just put a plug in for The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, which is the book that I just read, which was phenomenal. It, oh, oh my goodness. So bad. I've not, heard Jen talk about it so much and I yeah. want to read it so bad, yeah. <laughs> badly, yeah. so badly. It sounds oh, great. Amazing. So, all right, Ashley, how about you? What is your recommendation? So I had another one that I was planning to talk about, but I just finished this and wanted to share it. I talked about this one in our bookish check-in for There There, our October book club. So I, I talked about it recently, but I did want to share it because I just thought it was phenomenal. It is Stephen Graham Jones's The Only Good Indians. And I was captivated by that story. So this is a recent release and it was available on Libro FM and the ALC program. And so I listened to it on audio. I do think it would be even better on text. I loved the audio. It's very well done, but the storyline is somewhat complex. And so particularly in the beginning, listening was a little disorienting because there are, it's not just one main character whose narrative is driving the story. And so there are some opening scenes that I thought were really powerfully drawn. And yet on audio, I didn't think it played quite as well as I think it would on print. But so the story is about these four boys, these four young men who had gone out on a reservation hunting area. They are Native American young men. And the land that they were on was designated to be only a hunting ground for the elders. And so they were not to be hunting on this particular property. And yet they decided to hunt on it anyway, and they killed elk. And so the first part of the story that you're coming to understand is that one of the four killed an elk and he realized she was pregnant. And so he, at the time of the, of, um, the hunting, he was really troubled and he swore that he was going to use every part of her body. And then he was really going to, you know, honor the loss of her life. And yet he's kind of haunted by this, this incident. And he's really troubled by this. So when the story is opening, it's 10 years later and we're getting a look into his life. 10 years later, he's not on the reservation. He lives elsewhere. He is married to a white woman. He remembers this incident, but you know, you're getting into it like his, his current life. And yet this 
this feeling, this trouble that he has is becoming more and more pressing. And so he is starting to see these visions of unusual things happening. And there are these incidents that are occurring that you're, you as the reader are not able to determine what is, you know, what's his reality versus the reality. And I just found all of that really captivating. So early on, you're really getting this insight as the reader into his, his name's Lewis, into Lewis's life. And you, and I think also like he is making all these somewhat, they feel kind of crazy, somewhat crazy choices, but he also is a very lovable character. And so I think that part of the story was really powerful to me too, that in a lot of ways, we as the readers are really connected to him and, and yet watching him seemingly go crazier and crazier. And so you're kind of watching that unravel. So that's part of the story, but then it, you know, the, the myth and legend part of the story gets stronger and stronger. And there are these components that are paranormal that they can't explain. And so I think it is just it's really well done. And why I loved it is because it's a thriller. It's really compelling. It is a horror story. I don't think it's, it's not, there are a few parts that are quite disturbing, but generally speaking, there's not a lot of blood and gore. I mean, I think that it, it is something that's inviting to somebody who might not read horror all the time. And I felt like when there were things that were disturbing, they were well they fit well into the context of the story. So as somebody who does not usually read horror at this point in my life, I mean, I just felt like I'm so glad that I read it because I felt like it was a phenomenal story and I loved it for the sake of the story, but I also loved the message about who we are and how we as cultures come to do the things that we do and how that plays out for people. And and there also was just a lot of commentary about, I mean, I think it connected, I mentioned it in there, there, because it was so interesting to be reading it at the same time that I was reading Tommy Orange's there, there, Mm -hmm. because there was just so much really powerful commentary about the impact of hundreds of years of oppression for the native American community and the way that that, plays out in individual people's lives. And so while this is a story about a myth coming to life to, to a certain extent, it also was just, just a really captivating story about looking into these different Native American men's experience and what that is like for them and how it's kind of shaped by their larger context. So I just thought it was really phenomenal. And like I said, I was planning to talk about a different one, but when I finished that, I just wanted to share it because it's such a great read. And again, that's Stephen Graham Jones's The Only Good Indians. You think you'd term that as magical realism? I know you said it was a horror book, but... There is definitely some magical realism in it. As far as the myth part, there's some things that are, that I would say would be magical realism. But then I think, I didn't realize when I started it, it was considered horror, but it is listed as that genre. And like I said, there are parts that it's not what I would traditionally categorize in that way, but it is like... Like I read Stephen King's Bag of Bones is another mm-hmm. one that's kind of in that vein to me that it is horror kind of. There are parts that are that way, but it's also, that one's also like has a haunting. The stuff is more about paranormal experiences that, and then the questioning of whether it's really happening or it's the in the person's mind. And so there's some of that for sure in this one too. Oh, I love that. That sounds great. It was a it was a really great read. Like I said, I'm glad I didn't know because I think I would have not 
started it if I had known the genre. And I'm so glad I didn't know because I absolutely loved it and thought it was phenomenal. So I'm glad I took the leap. <laughs> I cannot wait to read that one. It's still sitting on my shelf. I still have it. But a, a very kind person on Bookstagram, I, I commented that I liked that author and she mailed it to me. And I have been meaning to read it ever since and just have not gotten to it yet. If you read it, I, we, we could talk about this, the connections to there there, because I just feel like it's so interesting to look at the way that those two books connect. What if I can write an essay? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jen? What's your recommendation? So I was really torn. I will just say N.K. Jemison. I will read anything that she writes. And I think... You cannot go wrong with any of her books, but I am recommending her. Actually, it's her most recent book, and it's the first book in a planned trilogy. It's called The City We Became. And this one, I really love superhero stories. And my favorite part of those is the backstory, like the origin story of how people became superheroes. And this book had that feel for me. So the premise is that it's a universe where cities, after they've been around so long and have gotten so big and sort of have this established character, are born. And as cities are born, they become these standalone entities. So they're still in the universe, but they have their own, I'm, I'm probably not articulating this very well, but they are standalone entities that have their own sort of universe to themselves. There is an evil force in the universe that wants to prevent these cities from being born. And each city has a person who sort of becomes almost like its avatar. And this book is about each of those avatars for New York, each of whom stands for one of the boroughs, figuring out what's happening, that he or she is an avatar and almost in a way, giving up their own identity. It sort of becomes blended. Like they're still a person, but they're also their burrow and coming together to fight this evil force, which just makes me ridiculously happy. Like, I just love it. So, I mean, nothing is solved and it's the first book in a trilogy. So it ends on a cliffhanger and bad things are happening. But it's also that kind of optimism that you feel when, you know, the force of good is taking on the force of evil. And Jemison has such a great touch with character. So each of these characters has a lot of nuance. And in each one, she's trying to capture the spirit of the borough that that person represents, which I think is fun. She also is taking on really explicitly the issue of race and the issue of race in New York City. So it feels it's both speculative. I mean, there are monsters and things in the city but also quite relevant. And the way those monsters are at times embodied in institutions, I think is just so clever. So it's a really interesting way for her to feel like she can comment on things that are happening right now, but with sort of the distance that I think you can feel with speculative fiction. So it's one of those reads that's fun and serious and thought provoking. And now I just have to wait for book two, which is always the problem with reading a book one right when it comes out, but she, Ashley and Sarah are going to laugh. She's an auto buy author for me. And so I had it pre-ordered and, and we're laughing yeah, because Jen has a long list of yeah, auto buy authors, a, of a long, long list. <laughs> yeah. We were, we were shopping for Jen for her birthday on her Amazon wish list, And we, Ashley and I, we were texting back and forth and looking at the list together. And we were like, I've never seen such a long 
long Amazon wish list. It's impressive. It's impressive. I'm, I'm yes, blushing right now because it's pretty embarrassing, <laughs> but it is also who I am. Guys, <laughs> I, I was just realizing how few books that are in my house I have actually read at this point. So hence the you know, taking some time to finish them all because I feel so bad having books that I own that I do not know what they are about or if I like them. So yeah, it's a journey of discovery into the next room. <laughs> oh, I love that. That could be our show title right there. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, to wrap up our episode, we are going to do our Give Me One. And today in honor of Virginia, we are doing favorite museum. So Virginia, do you want to start us off for this one? Yes. And this was so hard to think about what is my favorite museum because I was like, which which state, which continent, like how many can I choose? So I have, I have a lot of favorites, um, but I'm going to recommend the Freer Sackler Galleries in Washington, D.C. Their focus is on Asian art and they just did a huge renovation that think happened in the early 2000s. So it's, you know, distant enough that it's, it's settled into the museum, but recent enough, you can still go and enjoy it. And the reason that I'm going to recommend them is not only because do they have one of the best collections of Asian art in the country, but they are also because of quarantine and COVID, they are streaming for free all of these classics of Japanese cinema on their website. So you can go and I think they have like seven films that you can just watch and they sound delightful. And they're also streaming other free programs as well. So I thought that would be a good one. While people might not be able to go there physically, you can still go and enjoy visual art. And they also have a very digitized collection. So you can still go and enjoy very high resolution images of all of these beautiful works of art. So yeah, 10 stars out of five. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. I've never been there. Ah, So I'll have to check it out. Yeah, definitely worth the trip. That sounds great. It does. Uh, Ashley, how about you? So I had a really hard time deciding on this too. And I think... One thing I wanted to say is that with all museums, one one experience I've realized that I really enjoy is just when there are special collections. Like that to me is really satisfying. <laughs> I think it's just this idea that you can't see it all the time. So I've seen really cool things that way, but it's also, there's something about that experience itself that I find very appealing. So I think that in general, that's probably the part of museums I like the best. And Now, since we have lived here in Virginia, I love all the stuff in D.C. because that is something that I'm from Georgia and I lived in other places, but never this close to D.C. before. And we just our family really loves the the city and we love the museums. And so like that has been a really positive experience. I love taking my kids. I love that they're free. I mean, all all of that. But the one I settled on is the Louvre. And I think the reason I wanted to say that one as my favorite is because it is it. I studied French in college and went abroad. And that really was one of the very first times that I remember going to a museum and having that sort of transformative experience of being in a museum. So I feel like that was the one that came to my mind, just in the sense of I did remember, I don't even know what museum it was. But when I was very young, we went and saw a special exhibit on Ramsey and had they had the mummies and like that was the other one that came to my mind as just sort of a visceral 
memory, like a really, um, you know, just tied to my like five senses feeling of like, I remember that in a poignant kind of way. And so I think I, I wanted to say that. I mean, I love Paris. I really loved my time there. Studying abroad is a really, is its own special experience that you can only have as part of college. I'm sure that I have some nostalgia <laughs> right now, not just for that experience, but also just for the the joy of the travel itself. But yeah, that was the one I wanted to say, because I think that it has, it's so gigantic that it's kind of like being in its own world and that there is something there for everyone and that it is a really immersive experience. I would love to go one day. I would love to go to Paris one day. I'm I'm always down for that. So (laughs) I feel like I've read that if you went to the Louvre for eight hours a day, it would take you like a month to get through all of the galleries. It's so big. You don't even realize until you get there and see how huge the buildings are. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. Oh, okay. I have envy now, but it's okay. All right, Sarah, how about you? So this was kind of tough for me too. I, I too thought that the Louvre was just amazing. And I went in high school, went on a trip abroad with my classmates. And I just remember the scale, like just being like from this small town in Shenandoah County and the scale of the art museum and like seeing the Mona Lisa and seeing all these things that I'd read about. It was just so like you said, Ashley, transformative. I mean, it was just like, wow, I'm here and I'm getting to see this in person. I mean, I, so I understand. I can relate to what you're saying, Ashley. So, but I'm going to go with something else. I'm going to go with the Air and Space Museum. And I, growing up, uh, you know, since I lived here in the Valley, that was a common, it was common to go to DC to on field trips and things like that. But I just remember, always being so fascinated with space. And I really like, the thing I don't like about museums is that I can't touch anything. (laughs) And so I remember going to the Air and Space Museum and being able to touch stuff and like examine things. And I just thought it was the most fantastic thing and experience as a kid. And I just, and also I remember being in class when the Challenger exploded and it was such a, I mean, it was just such an impactful experience, a t- terrifying experience. And I just remember like how we talked about air. We just talked about space and we talked about it like that because I was grow- I was growing up in an elementary school during that time. It was this huge thing. So I just always loved space and I felt impacted by it. And, and like the, ch- I mean, yeah, just all of that, that all of that made me really fascinated with that museum. So I, I'm going to go with that one. That is, that's definitely my favorite with the, with my kids. So yes. like of the one of the ones I've been to in DC with my children for exactly what you said, because they can touch the things it's open, it's easy to access. And it's something that doesn't require a lot of background knowledge to enjoy and to be really awed by. Yeah. I love that one. What about you, Jen? So I also had a hard time. I, I debated going with the nostalgic answer, which for me would be the Smithsonian Natural Museum of History. Museum of Na- Museum of Natural History. <laughs> I'll get it right. And that is nostalgic both for me when I was a kid, because again, I grew up in West Virginia, but we took trips all the time to DC. It, we were very mindful that it was close. And I had teachers who were just amazing at planning field trips all the time to the Kennedy Center. But with my boys, we had a great experience there because they are big fans of animals and dinosaurs. But that's not my answer. 
My answer is the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So when Kirk and I went to see Hamilton, we will not go an episode without mentioning Hamilton. When we went to see Hamilton, we went to the Met as well. And neither of us had ever been there. But my husband teaches world history. And first of all, it was just really fun to watch him get to see it. But then also, like you were saying about the Louvre, just seeing these pieces of art that I have seen in textbooks and in movies and in books my whole life, I just felt like I walked around for most of the day with my jaw on the floor. Like I just was in absolute awe. And at a certain point, we just had to leave because neither one of us could absorb anymore. There was so much to see and think about, but it was, it was another, I mean, I think when you also transformative experience, I think it, I would love to go back. I, I don't know if I would go look at the same things again, knowing that I didn't fully absorb any of them, or if I would try to get to the things we didn't get to, but it was a really special, that was just a special trip in general. So doing a lot um, of virtual tours of the Met Galleries right now. And I think they actually have like a special program for kids. And I think it's like, you know, you know, learning in the museum or something like that. But it's this whole program of enrichment through the museum collection um, that looked amazing. So they're, they're another one that's doing a lot with trying to reach people where they are right now, which is probably inside their houses. <laughs> that <laughs> yes. sounds really cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Well, that is it for today. Virginia, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your wonderful books with us. Thank you so much for having me. This was just a delight. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. 